I'm just going to want to go back to this idea of you having this unique position as a, as like a modern bluegrass label that's making new bluegrass. And as like kind of a greedy capitalist, uh, that I am, I'm kind of thinking about like Spotify for artists. And if like you're pitching a new release, I got to imagine that the curators at Spotify on new release Friday or a few days leading up to it are getting pitched tens of thousands of pop songs, tens of thousands of rock and indie rock songs, and maybe tens of bluegrass songs. So to me, like, I feel like there's more opportunity for you to get on satellite radio, like you mentioned, and to potentially get on a, um, a, a an editorial playlist because there's not that much new bluegrass coming out. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today I'm talking with a record label from Nashville called Skyline Records. This is an incredible conversation. Get out your notepads or your notepad on your phone because there's some really cool insights that you're going to discover here for two reasons. Number one, Will is uh, has a bluegrass label and it's a new bluegrass label, a record label that's releasing new bluegrass, which I think is is pretty novel and pretty exciting and very, very inspiring. And so he's kind of doing a modern twist on things. You got to check it out. But Will is also a music attorney and you can actually find him in our directory. If you go to otherrecordlabels.com slash directory, he's a great guy, really, really sharp, really, really smart. So we talk a lot about law. And so you're going to get some kind of free music uh, attorney legal advice in today's episode as well. So Will is a fantastic um, attorney and we talk a lot about that and what labels need to be doing to get themselves in order. And of course, we talk about his record label, Skyline Records. Now, I want to give a huge shout out to our friends at Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode. And I'll tell you what, I have had, and, and I'm trying to do this with all of our sponsors moving forward, but I have worked with Squarespace now for, I'm thinking close to 10, 15 years. I, I'm pretty sure my very first site with my label was uh in 2010 is when I started building it. And I'll tell you how I know that because I remember I went back to university because I thought it would be a good idea to get my degree so I could get a proper job and leave the music industry. Spoiler alert, I didn't. But I was sitting in class. I was in a macro microeconomics class and my friends and I had just had this idea for a record label. And I remember sitting there on my laptop with Squarespace, creating our website for other songs and like picking a logo and just designing it. We didn't have any artists at the time, just myself and my friend's band and laying out our website. I have this incredible, uh, warm, fuzzy feeling that going all the way back to 2010, sitting in class, I ended up dropping out uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm glad I did, but I was using Squarespace at the time. And so I love Squarespace. I use it for other record labels as well and I will use it for more projects in the future and the good thing about Squarespace the best part about Squarespace is you can get 10% off through other record labels so all you have to do is go to otherrecordlabels.com slash Squarespace and use the code ORL10 that's ORL for other record labels 10 for 10% off that's otherrecordlabels.com slash Squarespace and use the code ORL10 so here's the thing, um, Skyline, I mean, I think of the Nashville Skyline, that like iconic uh, AT&T, I don't know if that's still AT&T, that building, but um, it also could be the Bob Dylan record. So wh where's the name come from? You know, uh, it's it was one of the hardest things I've ever done to <laughs> make. And 
I had all these names and I didn't like them, whether they were too long or they didn't look good or all that kind of stuff. And I was coming down to crunch time and and it just, it was the last, last one. I just picked it. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no basis for it or anything like that. It's just the name that, uh, that I thought was was a cool name. It looked good. It was a strong, strong word. And I think it could be a cool brand. Even though I'm not technically using the skyline uh, image in any kind of logo or anything. Right. Well, I mean, it's got a little bit of a nature thing. It's either a city skyline or like a skyline, you know, in the countryside. Yeah. And I think it's great. I think it's it's great, but it also, like I've said this before in other episodes, it just doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, I, I interview 30 odd labels a year and I don't, like sometimes I'm like, oh, that's a clever name. And other times, I like I just don't care. It's more about the people and the music, obviously. But like, there's so much more around it. The name is like, whatever. Yeah. But it is a good name. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but you know, when you when you invest in, you know, you have a company that you're starting. You know, you, it's hard to pick a name because you want to yeah. be proud of it. But yeah. then I, because I'm, you know, in a way, you know, I overanalyze everything, and I yeah. was definitely that. So. That's that's just what we landed on. I don't think you can not overanalyze, but at the same time, I just don't think you can get something perfect that is that lasts yeah. forever, yeah. unless yeah. it's like a non-word that transcends the language somehow. But yeah, anything you'll be sick of, I'm sure eventually. Oh yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> um, so you're in Nashville, correct? Yeah. Yep. I, I live in Nashville. I have such a. I, I love that place. I've visited half a dozen times. I haven't been in a long time, but I used to go down there all the time for no reason at all and spend a lot of time down there. I was there a, a few days before the big, huge flood back in 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, and yeah. I, I just left in time. I was in the mall. I was in the Gaylord. I was I was at all these different places that ended up being completely underwater. And uh, anyway, I love that town so much. It's got such a vibe. It's such an interesting little pocket. Franklin as well. I love going down to Franklin. But anyway, I love I love that place so much. Yeah, I you know it's been a wonderful place. You know, I'm actually from the Seattle area. I moved here about oh, three cool. years ago. Yeah, to for you know to do all the music projects that yeah, I had. Yeah, and it, you know, to me being from that being from Seattle, Nashville actually feels like a small town to me. Yeah. And the community, the music community just is, I mean, it's so creative. It's not just music, but it's creative professionals, like photographers, videographers, graphic designers, you know, cool music related businesses. And it's just a wonderful community, you know, and I I believe it's pretty open to anybody that wants to be in it. You know, obviously the country music, if you're trying to pursue country, it's, you know, it's a bit competitive. It's very, actually very competitive, but if you can do anything else related to music, there's probably a good market for you here. Yeah, that's a good point. Let me ask you about Nashville as it relates to your job. Well, well, specifically the record label. Um, and I mean, it seems to me like, okay, if you're, if you're at a party in any city in the world and you say you run a record label, that's going to like lift some eyebrows and people may, Oh, that's cool. Tell me about it. But if you're at a party in Nashville, you say you run a record label. It's like, yeah, cool. So does that guy and that guy and that girl. So yeah. um, is that, in, is it intimidating um, doing this job in Nashville or is, is the kind of the fact that everyone's in the business um, make it a little bit easier? 
You know, uh, I, that wasn't a concern of mine when I started it because um, I, I kind of had a vision and idea of what kind of music I wanted to produce mm-hmm. and make and the artists I want to work with. And I don't, it's kind of strange. I don't feel like I'm in competition with any of the other labels in town here because majority of them are geared towards either other industries and the big labels here, mostly geared towards country or, you know, pop country, all that, or even yeah. old school country. Yeah. There are a couple other small uh, bluegrass labels here, but I don't see them as, you know, um, you know, I feel like they, they're healthy competition. Sure. But, but the being in this town, I think is giving me leverage over some of the other labels with that are located in different areas of the country. Okay. Uh, because I have access to such a wonderful creative community here. And, That's right. and generally the resources are pretty affordable um, for what I'm looking for. So it's, you know, I think for me, I haven't found any kind of intimidation factor, but I found more of a really awesome networking community that helps me build my brand. Uh, do you get a bit of, uh, speaking of outside of the, outside of Nashville, do you, do you feel any sort of perceived legitimacy um, or credibility I don't know. I, like I, I feel like I feel that way. I like about your label or any label from from Nashville. I feel like you're there. You're doing it in the same way that a film company in Hollywood. I don't know. Is that crazy? Yeah, you know, I'm start. I'm starting to get that feeling, and it just happened over the past six months. Because I'll be honest, when I first started this, it was with an artist who, you know, I had a lot of respect for. It was just kind of a thing where he wanted to. Uh, you know, get another album, but didn't have the resources. And this is something that's always been a, an idea of mine that I wanted to do. So it was kind of like a partnership. Mm. And, and then I started, you know, I didn't know, really know too much at first. And then it started growing and learned things along the way. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had access to a second. Well, actually, take a step back. Then I started getting my first artist stuff on the radio. And then we even got it on Sirius Satellite Radio, wow. which was huge play for us. And so then all of a sudden I had a second artist and then got him on the radio as well. And then a third artist, uh, Caroline Owens, who is also the same thing. So I think the fact that, you know, now that we're getting radio play, we're getting decent streams from the industry. And the fact that it seems like the numbers are growing is to me, it's like, okay, you know, maybe we're meant to be here and there's, there's no imposter syndrome, even though I do feel like that quite a bit, but (laughs) it's been, you know, it's been, I, it's been a wild growth over the past year, which has been great. Um, it wasn't expected at all. And so I've had to deal with that growth. Okay. Okay. Let's just for our listeners here, because I want to talk about bluegrass a little bit, but, um, your genre like are you you're strictly bluegrass or like what are the parameters from a sonic standpoint yeah so you know i I grew up playing bluegrass music you know i was in a band for a while and i fell in love with the music and it's 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 the genre that i know the ins and outs of you know everything from the musicians to the history of the music and so for me it's a starting place and i believe that i can you know work with great artists i can find talent and i can understand what makes a good artist different from you know somebody who 
is mediocre. Yeah. So for me, we are bluegrass. I am not opposed to getting outside and doing something more Americana, more Amer- more folk related. You know, it would be great one day to eventually get in the country. I just think, I just think you need significant financial resources, yeah. at least my experience here in town. To, sure. to be so, you know, it's kind of one step at a time. I feel like I'm comfortable with bluegrass. You know, I feel like I know Americana folk a little bit too. And I would love to eventually want work with, you know, different artists and just kind of, you know, uh, expand our reach, uh, as, as a brand. Do you feel like there is, and I don't know, like if you're sticking straight to traditional bluegrass or if you're trying to become a little bit more modern or experimental, but I'm, I'm curious, like, is there novelty in the fact that you're a young guy for our listeners who can't see our viewers can see, but our listeners can't see you're a young guy. The yeah. fact that you are doing this genre, that you're a label releasing new releases. Um, is there like a cool, a unique selling point to that fact? Yeah. You know, the bluegrass is an interesting industry. It's very small okay. and not a lot of people know about the ins and outs of music who are just casual listeners, but we've had things that come along that expose the genre and people love it and it makes the genre grow and expose. So like the first thing was the, the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou movie. Like the sure. Yes. And that yes. was massive. I mean, that put like Alison Krauss more on the map and, and all the people in the band. And then as of late, the past few years, Billy Strings and Molly Tuttle, who have wonderful, you know, great music, but, you know, great marketing. And they've really put the genre on, on notice. But at the same time, the industry is also struggling as a lot of people are trying to uphold the traditional values. And what I have found is that a lot of people who are trying to make it bluegrass now, they're just covering old songs. They're just trying to redo them. And to me, it was like, I want to hear people be creative and they can you know, I want them to stretch their boundaries, stretch the music, use things that are never heard before. Because, you know, for example, if, if an artist is covering an Alice Krauss song, I, you know, as much as I'll listen to it once, it might be good. I'm always going to get Alice Krauss. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, so what, you know, what we've tried to do over here is we've tried to identify, you know, the strengths of our artists and try to produce an album that is, you know, consistent with that. So, you know, the first artist we had, Nick Newman, he's a wonderful singer, but he's a, uh, you know, I think his strength is his ability to play mandolin, write melodies and instrumentals. So his music is really well arranged and it has some of the best instrumentation that you probably can hear on, in a, on an album. And there's no covers on it. So it's it's something new, it's something refreshing. Same with, you know, Dalton Harper's or other artists. He's more of a, has this beautiful you know, deep country style voice. And he's more about the song. He's a wonderful guitar player too. But so, you know, we, we tried to direct his album as more focus on, you know, his, the song quality, his vocals, and, you know, just making it a, just a pleasant listening experience from the vocals. So, you know, what we're trying to do is just, you know, step outside of the norms that are in bluegrass, push the boundaries a little bit, but also pay off a lot of the, the similar factors that bluegrass has had. Right. And I think that's probably similar to, I mean, that's probably similar to every subgenre, whether you're punk or you're jazz or right, right. even hip hop, certainly classical, that kind of thing. Uh, 
I I'm just going want to go back to this idea of you having this unique position as a as like a modern bluegrass label that's making new bluegrass and as like kind of a greedy capitalist uh that i am i'm kind of thinking about like spotify for artists and if like you're pitching a new release i got to imagine that the curators at spotify on new release friday or a few days leading up to it are getting pitched tens of thousands of pop songs tens of thousands of rock and indie rock songs and maybe tens yeah. of bluegrass songs. So to me, like, I feel like there's more opportunity for you to get on satellite radio, like you mentioned, and to mm -hmm. potentially get on a, um, a, a, an editorial playlist because there's not that much new bluegrass coming out. Is that yeah. not true? No, you, you nailed it. And, you know, I've been lucky with every, almost every single release, uh, single release that we've done, Actually, every single one we've got on to Spotify playlists. And, wow! And so what I but what I've noticed, you jerk. Is our listeners hate <laughs> you right it's, now. But it's, but our it's, listeners it's are going to get into bluegrass. You know this. <laughs> I, I love competition, but um, you know what I what I noticed over the past year and a half is there's been such a growth in music that you know originally there was one or two Spotify playlists, and now there's like. There's many, you know, there's right. women in bluegrass, there's instrumental bluegrass, traditional, modern tradition. So there's tons of playlists and, you know, we've been lucky, you know, we have been lucky. It's not like I just throw it up there. You know, I, yeah. I try to write the best pitch that I can. And, sure. you know, I think a lot of people, you have to pay attention to the instructions that they give you for playlist pitching. You know, I think specifically they want to know how this track was created and in the, in uh, how you're going to promote the artist and music. And I think, at least from people I've worked with before, they just talk about themselves as an artist. And, you know, so I've, I just try the best to, you know, to follow the parameters and the guidelines. And, you know, it's been, it's been great. Um, that's um, that's you know, amazing. It's helped, yeah, it's really helped. Streaming numbers, they're not anything like big music, but they, they're a lot better than they were. Yeah. So yeah. I can definitely see that that the streaming platforms are definitely paying attention to the genre and seeing all these new playlists. I don't know who's making them. I don't know if somebody sure. I know. Oh, I that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's great because I think the music fans are probably have an appetite for new music within this genre, especially, yeah. you know, they probably played all of those classic, records a billion times we just did an interview i don't know when it's going to air i just recorded it a couple days ago with um a record a prog rock record label that's doing modern prog rock and and the conversation we're having right now is the exact same conversation which is that like the there's a an audience they're small but they're very committed very yeah. involved and hungry for new stuff I, I think that's what a great position you're in yeah you know and I mean, it doesn't hurt, you know, to try new things. And yeah, I think that's, yeah. I mean, and honestly, that was part of the reason why I did this. Um, and, you know, I was obsessed with bluegrass growing up. And in the, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, there were a lot of innovative bands. And you had people that were just pushing the boundaries. And then I felt like over the past few years, there just was a lack of creativity. Mm. And I thought, people were trying to mimic other bands where they were staying within the box of what they think people wanted to hear. Sure. 
So there wasn't, there weren't a lot of artists or bands or albums that I just was truly excited about, like when I was growing up. And so that, that was part of this. It's like, well, you know, I'd love to get into this and just take an artist or two and see if, see what we could do to just, if we can bring, bring some albums back. And, you know, I, the first album that we had released was the next album that's received rave reviews. And so, you know, I've been very happy with feedback so far. And we're just going to keep on trying to do it. That's awesome. Is there an element, I asked this when we were talking about prog rock as well, but is there an element, especially you being a young guy, um, promoting bluegrass, is it, is it a, a mission of preservation in any way of this, of this great genre or, or some sort of like evangelist standpoint that you believe people are overlooking this genre? Well, I think, you know, I think it's important for us to, because the tradition of music is very important. But what I believe is, I think it's important for the artists to bring out that tradition in their live shows. And I think you see that with guys like Billy, you know, like Billy Strand or Molly, Molly Tuttle, like they, all of their stuff that they record is their own, their own flavor, their own sure. vision. But you see them in their live shows, they they bring up the traditional song that they play and talk about their heroes. Yeah, so right. for us, for us, you know, we, we're confident that the artists are doing that in their live shows, but, you know, we're just, we just want to, all, all new songs, all new content, we just want people to be creative. Yeah. You know? And if it, and, you know, our, what I do on the label is I don't have, my only concerns, the, the stuff that I, it, you know, I kind of have like final say on is making sure that the session musicians are as good as it gets. And you're not just hiring your friend or you know, yeah. your mom's dad to yeah. play on it. And then that the songs are top notch quality. So that's essentially what we're going for. There's kind of a um I don't know. Tell me if this is wrong, but I feel like there's a bit of a hi-fi snobbery in bluegrass fans a little bit, in a good way. I'm saying this like this is I'm I'm a fan, I'm a fan of bluegrass. And when I put the headphones on and I listen to it, I want those, I want the, the, the banjo, the, the mando, the, the acoustic, I want it to be crisp. I want it pan nicely. I want it mixed really well. I want it to, I want to feel like maybe they're all, you know, around a stereo ribbon mic or something. I really like, I, I'm not, a, I guess there is a place for lo-fi bluegrass too that's really cool or some of the original mono yeah. john hartford stuff but like i'm also i really do think that it should be hi-fi and i kind of am the same way with jazz as well so is there i mean i just thought that was interesting that you said you know not just your friends like this has got to be professional stuff i feel like there's a standard yeah there absolutely is and especially with you know i want to say like I don't want to categorize it, but we're more of like a modern, modern type of bluegrass. Sure. But the the recording quality is as much as a part of the music as is the artists in the, in, in the session musicians are. So yeah, we we use about the best studios that we can afford on the budget. Yeah, which you have a few in in the neighborhood, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we do, yeah. Um, and we have great engineers and. But yeah, like it has to be, it sonically has to be really perfect and beautiful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we work a lot on the mixes, you know, we try to get it right. Whether, you know, some engineers, they like to have it pan where it sounds like a band or, you know, so there's just different, different variations, but it's definitely high quality stuff. It's not out of tune. 
it's tight, it's yeah. easy to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. But it's expensive to do that. You know, it is. And to us, it's worth it, though. Yeah, um, sure. Actually, with the rates that we're paying for an album out here, um, you know, we have some, you know, some of the engineers have home studios, and they're just as good as yeah, the professional. That's true. Yeah. So if I'm going to spend, you know, five, six hours more, it's, it's worth it for me. And, yeah. you know, like, for one, like, one example, when we recorded Dalton's album, he was a bit under the weather on the day we did vocals. And in the studio, it, did, it sounded fine to me. But when I got the mixes back, I was like, oh, man, it's a little bit nasally. Yeah. So I, that was a, that was a time when I was like, well, do I save a few hundred dollars and, and just put it out? Or am I want to be happy with it for the, forever? Yeah, yeah. But we, we just spent the money to go back in the studio. And Good it was for worth you. It. Good for you. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about bluegrass. Great. Tell me of the history of the label. I, I don't think we've gotten here yet. Uh, how long have you guys been around, and like, what was the impetus for this? Yeah, so we started um, early 2022, and basically October in 2021, I was playing a show with my friend uh, Nick Dumas, who was is the first artist on the label. And we were just driving around. He was basically saying, you know, I'd love to put out a second album. I just I just don't have the money because we just bought this new house and all that kind of stuff. And I was, well, I was like, well, you know, I've always been wanting to do this. Maybe there's yeah. some arrangement. Yeah. So we just basically sat down and we just chatted through it. And then all of a sudden, um, I was like, okay, let's do this. So I, I started the company, uh, you know, draft all the documents, got him under a short form recording agreement. And then that we just to get it under on, on paper. And then we, uh, and then sent an announcement to a publication that's pretty essential in the industry called bluegrass today. We essentially said that, you know, Nick Dumas signs with this new label Skyline records. And so I didn't really think of anything of it, but that ended up that, that blew up like, like my phone blew up, my Facebook, Instagram, everything blew up. Wow. So traction there. Yeah. Which is great. So then we, then we, you know, put out singles and it was, everything was slowly, but the feedback to the first and second singles was just, just phenomenal. So, uh, in the meantime, he asked me to play some shows with him on banjo. And so it, it helped me shake the rough off the rest off my music, sure. but through my involvement with playing music and kind of touring, you know, I started to meet some other artists and writers in the genre. So, um, you know, I met met the second one, Dalt Harper, who had already written a couple of number one singles, and I didn't. He was going out on his own, and he was somebody that I saw a lot of potential in, and would love to work with him. So, said, "Hey, let's work something out." And he ended up signing with us. So, you know, it's just been it's been a wonderful growth that started with one artist, but it just evolved through networking and connections with other people. Sorry, what year did you say you started that? Uh. 2022, but wow. basically January 2022. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to start off at the top of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially. yeah that's great. Okay. <laughs> An interesting part of this story that I, I'm not sure that our listeners know yet is that you're a lawyer. Uh, yeah. And, and, and you specialize in entertainment law. Talk to me about how those two roles interact with each other and support each other and complement each other 
Yeah, you know, I would have never done this. I could have never done this if I wasn't an attorney. Oh, okay. Um, I've been, and I've been thankful throughout my career that I've done a lot of business work. Then over the past couple of years, you know, I also do a lot of real estate work. And uh, I've been doing a bit of entertainment work as well. But I've been thankful to, and to see a lot of just a variety of, of recording agreements, whether it's from a big artist or a small indie label. And so I was just able to study. It was just kind of funny. Like I was lucky to study the inside the industry through contracts and agreements and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I had I had a philosophy for the label that I wanted. I wanted to offer, you know, my artists really artist friendly deals. And I didn't I don't know what other labels were doing, but I think the way that we have it structured is pretty great for them. So you know, I was able to figure out what I needed to start the business. You know, I was able to start everything myself. I have an operating agreement that I was able to draft, you know, just, but all of this was just stuff that I've learned through my career. And the reality is if I were to do this without, you know, had to hire an attorney, it would be very, very expensive. Sure. And, and so that, on you know, my legal career, kind of one of my goals, you know, within the next year is to figure out how I can help increase access for artists to either start their own kind of businesses or labels without somebody incurring the ridiculous attorney fees that can come, you know, unless, because a lot of the big labels will, will advance a hefty fee for artists to uh, sure. hire an attorney. And sure. we just, our smaller industries just don't have that. And so a lot of the resources have to come from the artists. And it's just, you see their hourly rate, you see how much time it takes. And, you know, it's probably more than some of them are going to make creating music. That's so right. It's, it's, tough. it's a tough dynamic. Right. But, uh, but, yeah. yeah, continue, please. Oh, I was just saying, so yeah, you know, it, it's been, it's been just, you know, I've been able to see everything that I need on on the contract side and the business side of what it takes. You know, I've been able to see royalty statements and how that is um, put together. Uh, you know, just kind of anything and everything. So, yeah, I'm very lucky that I have that background that helps me translate a lot of those skills into the label side. Incredible. I mean, that's a, an incredible unfair advantage that you have over really other is. labels. It <laughs> allows you to take all that money you save in legal fees and put it into studio fees. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine, I maybe I'm just projecting my own um, insecurities, but when I talk about Nashville being in an intimidating town, I feel like it's a town where you need to be on the up and up from a contract standpoint. You have unions there. Um, mm -hmm. I just feel like it's a little bit more of a formal music industry than say seattle is or was yeah yeah you know it's it's interesting at least in the country realm with any business or record label or publishing company everything is papered up whether it's uh you know use of somebody's music in a video or right. uh, you know a song just giving somebody credit for being a featured artist like everything is papered up and, and negotiated pretty heavily i bet you know I mean, I get it. You want to make sure that you protect everybody's rights and you want to make sure that everybody gets paid. Yeah. Bluegrass, on the other hand, I don't, you know, it's not very well papered up. Okay. Uh, a lot of, you know, uh, I think, you know, there aren't very thorough recording agreements. I think, you know, there's no independent contractor agreements for creative 
professionals that are work with labels, especially, you know, there's no band agreements between artists and bands, wow. which cause a rift and problem. Like who owns the rights to the song? What happens if a band member writes a song and they leave? Like there's none of that. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I think, yeah, generally the bigger country industry is definitely papered up. My industry, I don't think it is very much. Well, some of those songs that they're working on have the potential, the big potential to go to number one and to make tons of money. Yeah. Not so much happening in, in the bluegrass. Bluegrass has been more about, you know, that that evening gathered around the circle kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, another thing is I, there's just not a lot of money in bluegrass. So it doesn't, <laughs> it, it, it's somebody, if they get offered a, a deal by one of the record companies, they're sure. essentially going to sign it, maybe with some input or advice by somebody else. But, you know, there's not a lot of people know what their rights are to the music or, you know, whether what deal they're signing is good or bad. Right. And I, it, it's just because there's just not that much money to pay for legal services. And yeah. so it's, you know, it's, it's something I would love to be involved in trying to find a way to change that increase access to, you know, using legal services. But well, I love that. And, and I think we should talk offline about more ways that we can yeah. do that. But and, and I want to just give a shout out that Will and his legal services is part of our directory at otherrecordlabels.com slash directory. So if you want to get in touch with Will, you can. And everybody yeah. is now like, oh, he's saying that he's cheap. Let's, I'm going to reach out to him. But anyway, uh, I, think, I think it's incredible. And I want to ask you from a legal standpoint, because you're a label owner as well and an indie artist. Um, and so you've, and you've represented so many different things. You have your own label and you do your own paperwork for your own label. So when it comes to small indie labels, what are they generally missing when it comes to the legal side of things? What kind of mistakes do you think some of us are making from a legal perspective? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it, I think first of all, it comes to the recording agreement. Um, and I think a lot of this is where you see headaches down the road for whether it's bigger labels or artists that are in disputes with the labels. But I think you want to make sure that you have a very solid recording agreement that, you know, is specific and details the terms of the relationship. But not only that, what happens in case of a dispute? You know, what happens if, if you disagree? Or, you know, what happens if the artist is not doing what you what you need them to do and you gave them advance like what do you do there or you know if you're the artist if the label's not doing anything is there a mechanism to get out of deal so i think if you're a label you need to really define it um you need to put in make sure that you understand different kind of agreements whether it's a profit share or royalty um and maybe have a standard agreement drafted for that also has a lot of protections in case there's a dispute you know um so that's one thing. I think it's also important to really understand uh, royalty distribution and make sure that you have a really good accounting system. Because I think if you if you're not if you're super unorganized, it's going to be a headache down the road. Yeah. Um, and and I think you need to think you also need to understand and put a lot of time into understanding the dynamics between publishing and songwriting rights. Mm -hmm. Masters and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of all that, all the legal dynamics there. Oh, um, my question for you is okay. I have a couple questions from the legal standpoint. So, is there 
okay, if if you're signing an artist, if a, a record label wants to sign an artist, um, should the artist have their own lawyer? Or like, if I'm if I have a label, I'm signing an artist, and I want to reach out to you to help us put this deal together. Can you be the only lawyer involved, or should there be you for me and and one for them? Yeah, ideally, the artist will want to be represented by their own attorney. Okay. okay. Because whether the label is big enough to have their in-house counsel or if they outsource and use their own attorney, you know, you ideally you don't want an artist negotiating with either the, the attorney with the label because, you know, if you have your own attorney, they're going to they're gonna notice a lot of, you know, the yeah. disadvantages and all that kind of stuff. So. You know, if you can find an attorney that's willing to help you negotiate and um, and work with you on that, that's the ideal situation. If not, uh, I recommend trying to do as much due diligence as you can. Uh, you know, read it, highlight it, Google what does this mean. You know, ask ask advice in forums. Um, what is this contract? What standards? Sure. That kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. if I'm a label and I hire a lawyer, I'm trying to save money. Um, it, is there a way for me to to ha- to pay for you to to create a bespoke recording agreement for my label that I can then reuse for all future artists? Yeah, is absolutely. that still legal? Yeah, yeah, you can definitely use form contracts, and you know we, you know, I've done that a lot on the real a lot of the real estate. Sure, that's done. true. Good point. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've a. Uh, it's actually something I'm currently working on. I have a bunch of templates that eventually I'm going to put up, uh, probably like to offer a package for sale with nice. some some kind of like budget for time that you can work with me yeah. um, on developing those or answering the questions you have. But it's going to be a much cheaper alternative to paying for an attorney to draft a significant contract on, on an hour rate. Um. So tell me a little bit about this, like thinking about, as we're talking about like the position of the label and, and, and some of their, their legal needs, um, how, if a label has such low income, we off, we often just avoid legal fees altogether. Um, and, and some of these fees just seem insurmountable. Now I know you're working on something that's a little bit more affordable. And, and like you said, these packages of contracts, but like, can you talk to those labels a little bit? Cause you're on both sides of the fence. You, you, you understand both. Um, yeah. Uh, so you, are you essentially saying if, what, what are the options if there's not much money to pay for? Yeah. I service? mean, Listen, let me let me be frank. There's a lot of labels in our who are listening right now who do not have any agreements uh, yeah. between them and their artists. Uh, and I think a lot of it is I would I would say half of it is money, financial reasons. They're intimidated right. to speak to a lawyer. People haven't yep. met you yet, but at the same time, they also want to keep things kind of informal. They want to keep things. Uh, homespun and maybe not like officiate things so much with, yeah. you know, by keeping it organic. What are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I think that's fair. Uh, I think, you know, it's a healthy balance because I want, I'm in that same position too. Yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to be this tough and hard label boss with my artists because i think part of the reason why they like being with our label is that we are very flexible and we're very free and you know if if they don't like something they have they feel like they have a voice and input 
and it's a it's a balance for other labels like you you at least want a bare bones kind of recording agreement that just maybe dictates some of the essential terms like this <laughs> this is how many how many singles or how many albums you're going to be under contract and what the financial split is and maybe some uh, creative control things and other than that like if you are working with your artist and you want to be flexible on something, you want to change the terms, you always have the right to do that. Sure. If both parties agree and you can, you can amend it in writing or amend it by sending an email. You know, if the con, you know, sometimes if you have language in a contract that says, you know, you can make changes by in writing otherwise, but you know, I, I think, I think it's important to understand just because you have a contract, if you, if the parties, are open to renegotiating or changing the term. You can always do that. Interesting. Or if you want, if you want to be a little bit more flexible, you, you always have the option to do that. I just think if you're an attorney or if you're a label, you need to protect your investment. If you're putting money in yeah, this person, and, yeah. and they're not, you know, if they're not doing anything you say, you know, you need to. You don't want to be out how much money you're getting without being able to get that back. And on the on the artist side, you know, you want to make sure that. Um, that the labels doing their obligations, that they are distributing your music, um, that they're yeah. paying you the royalties. So you just want some of those minimum protections. But if it comes to the loosey goosey stuff, the creative control, all of that can be negotiated otherwise. Um, you mentioned that the way you're putting your label together is something you haven't seen before. You're being extra generous to your art, to your artists and, um, based on that, and you don't have to give any of those details if you don't want to, but and, and based on some of the sour contracts or the the nasty contracts that you've come across in your career, what are some examples or what are some things that uh, that you would consider to be generous or to be artist friendly that a record label could do? Yeah, um, you know, it, first. It depends on how much money that they're going to take from your royalties. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think you know a lot of smaller labels will do profit share. So you know, if the labels get ninety percent and the artist is getting ten, it's probably pretty unfair to the artist. But if sure. it's a fifty-fifty, that's a pretty fair fair deal. You know, if, totally. If, if the if they're taking thirty percent of your royalties, it's probably extreme. But if it's more fifteen percent standard. Um, you know, another thing that's important, you know, a, a large part of our income is sound exchange, uh, which is, you know, a lot of the radio play, but it's sure. also where a lot of income from uh, private radio comes from as well. Yeah. Especially yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know what every label does, but, you know, some labels will not only go have their own right, right owners, uh, ownership that goes to the label, but some will also take a portion of the artist share of that. Okay. So we we don't do that. Uh, we think it's fair that they get that. And, you know, even though we could probably get quite a bit more um, on money, I, we just think it's a fair fair deal that way. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think there's a healthy balance of how much money that the label can take versus the artist can take. And I think that needs to be analyzed. What about as we're talking like 50 50 seems most common these days. And, and, and I can't think of anything more fair than split down the middle, but 
What yeah. about if the label, and tell me, is it possible to have different percentage splits in different categories of revenue? So like you're talking about satellite radio, this is something that you excel at. You have built these relationships over the years with satellite radio. Maybe you deserve a bigger cut. Maybe you're not that good at selling merch or selling CDs and vinyl. And therefore, maybe the artists are going to be doing more of that themselves on tour. So they get 75% or they get 50-50 of that. But maybe yeah. you're going to get 60-40 of uh, you know, non-interactive streaming. So is that something that you've seen before? Absolutely. And I, I think that's what you're seeing a lot of the bigger labels go after. Oh, okay. We've lost, you know, we've, I mean, you think about the, how much money was made on physical CD sales on its, in its prime. Like labels in, in artists and writers were making a lot of money if you were selling a million or two uh, CDs. Sure. Um, and so when you lose that income, you know, they're trying to figure out a way to uh, replace that. So, what I have seen on some of the, on the with some labels is that they're getting uh, you know a small percentage of of merchandise and touring income and maybe some other income in addition to whatever they're getting from the streaming, radio, all that stuff. So I think I've seen five to ten percent that they're that the label will get on touring and sure. merchandise as well. So you know I I don't go after that. Um, I don't know if that's something we'll do in the future because our physical sales are still pretty decent at bluegrass festivals because we have an older crowd. Sure. So, yep. That makes sense. If that, yeah. If that if that drops, it's something we might consider. Um, but I, I don't I don't know at this time. It, yeah. You know, we have you know we have provisions in place. Like if the label does end up doing booking for some of the artists or book a show, like you know we we do have a booking fee that will charge. But, you know, if they're booking their shows on themselves or with a booking agent, like, we're not taking the kind of that. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's true. So, I think I'd that's like to, totally fair. Yeah. I'd like to not eventually do that, but, you know, we'll see how the economics goes with grow. Sure. What are, uh, the last question I have for you, uh, what, you've got this legal business and you you have plans to make that more accessible to uh, indie yeah. labels and indie artists and then you have this record label are there plans to kind of cross them over like do you see any sort of marriage or, or is that two separate businesses in your mind yeah i see them as separate and honestly i i would like to get out of the legal role on the label side um and it would be not yeah it would because it's my that's my problem with the growth right now. It's a good problem, but you know, I'm I'm at this point where we have three artists now. It's essentially me and, a, and an intern running it. She's she's awesome, um, but you know, I would like to get I'd like to get the legal stuff off my off my plate. I don't want to do you know the shipping and fulfillment anymore. So like sure. you know, I'm actually gonna go meet with the company to see if they would just do all that for me. So nice. I'm trying to find a way to outsource a lot of our needs. And, and But, you know, legal service is part of that one day. And yeah. I just want to be more of the high level, you know, like the traditional label president or, or whatever, where they just look at the artists, they have control on, you know, what songs are played and the, and the creative artwork and whatever. And 
I want to, I want to avoid the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I get that. I think we all day. do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I don't think, I, I don't know what our listeners were expecting, but we got to cover, uh, bluegrass yep. and, and music law all in one episode, which is, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, thank you for this and, and congrats on your label. I love it. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm appreciate the opportunity. You know, and I gotta say, like a lot of your resources helped me get this started. You know, from the checklist Amazing. and to the to the workbooks and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's it, great to hear. I, I give some of the credit to you. I don't think it's ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, thank you so much. Tons of great little nuggets in there about what it means to have a super niche genre. I love focusing on that. We've been focusing on it quite a lot recently. Tons of great free legal advice. You're welcome. Make sure you check out Will and his record label, Skyline Records. And if you need some legal advice from Will, you can find him in our directory by going to otherrecordlabels.com slash directory. And another shout out to our friends at Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode. And you can get 10% off your own website by going to otherrecordlabels.com slash Squarespace. Thanks for listening.